Welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, as you know, and I'm the host of this show where today, man, I'm telling stories that will lead to asking questions, uncomfortable questions, almost certainly, and there may be some uncomfortable silence that we'll all suffer through together, but that will likely help all five of us bond, which will be a beautiful thing. We might even burst into song and start to sing the hits. Who knows? With this show, almost anything goes. This episode is about creativity and community and about changing the world and escalators and urinals and confronting the dysfunction in others while being dysfunctional our own freaking selves. And I'm not scared to get into any of that. And if you're not either, then let's dive into the deep end of the shallow pool of human misery. All right, well, let's let's jump in. And as we jump in today's stories, I'd like to invite you, as I'm telling these stories, to think about where you fit in these stories. Because who even are you, you know? I don't even know. Inquisitive minds want to know. We want to know. Like, there's five of us <laughs> listening, and uh, it just seems like we could be honest enough with each other. Um, to begin, I'm an idealist, and... Proudly so, though I have met people who wield that word like a weapon that they use to deride the individuals who identify as idealists as an object of their scorn and derision, right? But I've always thought, what's the alternative? Just be a whiner and complainer bitching and grumbling about everything and everyone. So basically somebody on Twitter. Um, I don't want to be that person. Twitter sucks. Um, I wanted to change the world, and I did. Only just not in any way that I would have thought or recognized in my youth when I was really preoccupied with the idea of leaving my mark, making a mark, leaving my mark, whatever you want to say. Uh, And that's because I wasn't paying attention to what urinals had to teach me about the world. Ready, sit, let's go, let it go. And don't even get me started on escalators. Because <laughs> that's a whole other uh, kettle of slow-moving fish. Oh, maybe I'll get into escalators later. But urinals. Okay, here's the thing about urinals. I wanted to change the world. And uh, I don't know if I thought, I guess I thought in the, in the beginning that I was going to change the world. Me alone, I was going to, I had these, this incredible, you know, skill set or something. And I, I was going to be everything that I needed um, to change the world. And then you realize as you get older that uh, that's not the way it works. You, you have to work together with people. You need critical mass. You need people. And one day I walked into this public urinal and, and or this public washroom. And, and here's the deal. Um, if you've never been in to the men's room, um, and not to be too graphic, of course, but you know, evolution has provided 
men with this convenient little hose, if you would. And the urinal becomes this like wide open trough. The, the, it could be not, it, there should be absolutely nothing easier in this world than the person with a little hose to go up to a big trough and just like put the water from the little hose into the big trough. It should just be the simplest thing in the world. We shouldn't even be talking about it. But if you've ever gone into the men's room and you walk over to that part all over the floor, people have just been going to the bathroom all over the floor, everywhere, in front of every urinal. doesn't matter how big it is. doesn't matter if it's the full length, if it's like a wall mount. doesn't matter if it's like what it's made out of or, or what. You know, it, they're still all over the floor. And I'm like, one day... I walked in and I just stood there. I was all by myself in this public washroom. It was just disgusting. And, uh, and I looked around and I was like, these idiots who can't even put the water from the hose into the trough are part of the collective we of humanity. And if I want to change the world, these idiots have to be involved. These guys who can't even use a urinal have to become part of the process because you can't just change the world. You can't change the, the way the, the restroom works without, you know, changing the way these idiots work. Whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, I don't know if they're on their phone, I don't know if they're thinking, I don't know if they're playing, I don't know if they're like, you know, thinking of daydreaming, I don't know what. It seems impossible to me that even one guy can't, you know, get this together. But the amount of the, the the condition of the average floor is so bad that I I feel like there's a a really disturbing percentage of dudes out there who are unable to use this simple thing when you know evolution has given you everything you need the systems and the structures and the the institution of the restroom has provided you with all of the the structural and you know institutional support that you could possibly need in this moment that you need to engage with the system and still in spite of evolution in spite of the best systems that men have created and put in place for you still. There's that many idiots who can't get it together. And I realized I need to bring my expectations of <laughs> what's going to be involved in changing the world and the speed and the rate and the scope of which I'm going to be able to change the world. These people need to constantly be in my mind to, to think, okay, can the, can the guy pees all over the floor be part of this, you know, transitional moment in time and history and space to make the world a better place? Can that person do it? And if the answer is yes, then, hey, I feel like there's a chance that I might actually change the world. And if the answer is like, no, then there's no way the guy who is peeing all over the floor is going to be able to get together with this kind of institutional <laughs> structure of change, then I have to like really rethink what I'm doing and how I'm doing it so I can engage that person. That's why I say urinal is really about a transformative power on my mind and what is involved in changing the world. Uh, and then there becomes the part of the, the, the part of changing the world. It's like, where does that happen for you? 
I'm going to tell you where it happens for me. But while I'm telling this story, where does changing the world happen for you? Changing the world. It's, it's like that saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's why community and collective opportunities are amazing and frustrating and incredible and irritating because it involves people and people are the worst <laughs> and they're the best. So for me, living in a community house has been where changing the world has really found uh, rubber meets the road and all that jazz. Uh, we've lived in this community house here in Lekwungen territory in the city of Victoria for the last, I believe this is our 12th year, something like that. We've lived in community for the last like 13 years here. Uh, also lived in community in Winnipeg and before that, in Kelowna. So I've spent most of my adult life in some sense of living in community. And what it's taught me and what it's let me do and be and become has all been based in these simple little moments, things that most people wouldn't uh, pay attention to at all. How loud or quiet you walk down the stairs at a certain time of the day, how loud or quietly you uh, slam the door or shut it quietly if it's super early in the morning. Um, if I, I grind my coffee, it's by now, it's this habit to grind my coffee in the at night before I go to bed so that in the morning, in case I'm up really early and, and people are, it's an old house. It's 132 years old. Like the, the, <laughs> the floorboards are, are see-through by this point. It's a, it's a sheer veil in most places. <laughs> so sound transfers and everybody can hear. And, and it's like you live, you start to live with an awareness of people around you and you start to live how simple little things can make people feel honored and seen and respected and how those same simple little things can make people feel disrespected and invisible and unheard. You know, it's it's not uncommon over the years. You probably never even thought about it. I'm certain I never thought about it. You know, say you're living in a, you know, we have a shared entrance and uh, let's say somebody comes in and they just kick their shoes off, you know, and then they, they go about their their day. Somebody else comes in and here's this pair of shoes that's just kind of in the middle of the entrance and you have to step over them or step on them or, or whatever. And, and for somebody else in the house, that, that'll be a big deal. And it'll be such a big deal for them that they will be really uncomfortable to even bring it up with the person. And, and it might go on for days or weeks or months until the person who finds it a problem kind of just loses it. It just like it just comes out. It's, for them, it's been every single time they've stepped over that pair of shoes that that person has left. It's pissed them off. It's made them mad. They can't understand what's going on. Finally, after like two months, they just explode. Would you please, put, you know, put your shoes on the friggin' rack or whatever? Now the person who's been kicking their shoes up, they're like, oh, geez, yeah, whatever. I didn't even know. Sorry, you know. <laughs> they, for them, it'll be nothing. Yeah, okay, no problem. But the fact that it's nothing is they'll forget about it. 
And maybe the very next time they come in, or maybe they'll remember to put their shoes on a rack for two times. But by Thursday, they've forgotten about that conversation and they kick them off as they have done forever. And they care about their business. Well, now for that first person who was losing their mind and finally got to the point where they exploded and they brought it up, now seeing these pair of shoes in the entranceway again, now to them it's such disrespect. It is a slap in the face. It means that this person does not give a flying rip about them or anything or the world. <laughs> and people will move out. Or they will make it so uncomfortable that you want to move out. But if you're the leader, you can't. Um, so living in a community house, man, it has taught me. We, in the last 11 years or 12 years, whatever we've lived here, we've, we've lived with uh, just over 45 people in this house. And it has given me this micro. I, I'm a, I'm a, I love visions. I love dreams. I love the big picture. But this has really brought the big macro vision down to the micro level and helped me realize, like the urinal in the public washroom or the entranceway with the shoe rack, um, change is on such a granular level if you really want to change the world. It means paying attention. And changing the world, it's like leadership. And this conversation of leadership comes up a lot because many people, it seems like they they want to aspire to being a leader. Maybe they love the title or, or the sense of power or privilege that they associate with the label. I think it's the same motivation for people who want to be influencers, you know, and there's honestly few admissions you could make to me that would make me disrespect you faster or more than if you told me you want to be an influencer. Um, because my understanding right now of leadership at this point in my life, it comes down to the person willing to have the uncomfortable conversations. I want to tell you about two of them when we come back. Okay, so this community house that we live in, <clears throat> uh, it's had, it, 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 we're in a beautiful season right now, and we've been in a beautiful season uh, relationally as a community for the last number of years, but it wasn't always like that. Uh, there was a period of time where we hit this transition stage where we didn't have the culture, the creative culture in the house that you could then uh, bring a new person into and say, here's the culture that, you know, you can assimilate to and find your place in. It was like we were still trying to find our way. And when you don't have a clear vision to bring people into, it's really hard to navigate your way through um, all of these different experiences and uh, that you couldn't possibly have foreseen. You can't... You cannot ever um, imagine every potential scenario that you're going to need to work through. So there was this time, there was um, three housemates on the second floor above us, uh, two females and one male. And I'd been on tour 
when the house needed to make the decision on two people moving into the house at that point. So not, uh, I wasn't part of it and the, they picked two, um, guys. I wouldn't have picked either of them for different reasons. So I came back, met them and I was like, well, okay, this is going to be interesting. So we navigated our way for a bit. And, and this one guy in particular, I'm going to tell this story. Uh, his name was Andrew. And uh, one of the first things I remember him saying was like, oh, everybody, you know, I've made some bad decisions in my life and I need to do some self-care and some self-work. And and uh, so, you know, I'm going to be burning lots of incense and you're going to be hearing like meditative whatever. And what it, so everybody's just going to kind of have to deal with that while I do my good work, you know, on myself. I don't remember what I said to Andrew at that time, but what I would say to him now, uh, this far along in the journey, I'd be like, you know what, dude, nobody in this house was there and had any part of you making bad decisions in your life. So the fact that you want to make some good decisions and you want to turn things around, that's awesome. And we support you, but nobody in this house has to pay any price at all for you starting to make good decisions. No, we don't have to just suck it up and, and suck in like lungfuls of incense and listen to your drones and your meditative howls. We don't have to do any of that. If you want to start making a difference and you want to start like not being a selfish, you know, dick, uh, then yeah, start by respecting the people who are in your life in this house. So... Anyways, this dude begins to plague the house with himself and his journey. And at one point, one of the girls on the second floor, um, I don't remember how she told me, whether it was in a text or face to face, but she's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay in the house. She's like, um, Andrew's just so rude. He's so mean. He's so aggressive. Um, kind of violent, not physically violent, but just verbally and emotionally violent. And I'm like, what? What's what's going on? When's this happening? So I immediately go upstairs, get this guy to sit down in the living room. I'm like, dude, absolutely not acceptable, not to anybody in this house, certainly not to the other girls who are renting rooms on this floor. And if you've ever been a leader and you've been willing or whatever disciplined enough to step up to have the uncomfortable conversations that nobody wants to have uh with somebody like this my experience over and over again is that with anybody of strength with anybody with the ability to look them in the eyes and call them on their bs uh they just back down immediately Oh, geez, Rick, you know, I had no idea. Oh, my God, of course, you know, for sure. Oh, yeah, no, I, did, I never, never meant that in a million years. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it'll never happen again, whatever. So that's it. I mean, I have the conversation. I say this, you know, it's whatever. The next day, I'm walking my dog. I'm down by the water, and, uh, and I get this text from the same girl. She's like, I said, I can't handle it. He's pounding on the walls. He's screaming through the walls because he heard my alarm go off. And I, I can't live like this. And she's like, I, I'm going to have to move out. And I'm like, just stay there. 
So I called my partner for a pickup. She comes, picks me and the dog up, come back up. I tell her what's going on. I just go storming upstairs. Dude standing in the, the kitchen. I'm like, what the hell, Andrew? Like, we just talked about this. And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, right? I'm like, you can't pound on the walls. And you can't, like, scream at your housemates. Like, it's unacceptable. So you got to move out. That's it. And I'm all amped up. I don't want to have this conversation. I hate this. I hate aggression. I mean, if I'm making it sound like it's no big deal to me, it's not. I'm stressed out. My heart rate's up. I'm sweating. I don't like it. So he's like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, for sure. I'm meaning, like, at the end of the month or at the whatever. This dude, weaselly little dude that he was, uh... He just like goes in, finds a couple garbage bags, throws all of his crap in garbage bags and starts like moving out like right then. You know, it's uh, must have been close enough to the end of the month. He doesn't want to pay anything and uh, doesn't want to give notice neither. And uh, I'm just like, what are you doing? Are you moving out? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just uh, just organizing, getting rid of some stuff I don't need. Yeah, he makes about seven trips and he's gone. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, so I phoned the, uh, the, the estate manager and I just said, uh, so this person just moved out, like literally in garbage bags, took off. So keep their half month's rent. I'll fill the room as quickly as I could. And by the middle of the month, I'd found somebody else to move in. Better person, infinitely better. But, uh, that person, Andrew, gave me such a great life lesson. You know, the idea of changing the world and you meet somebody and they, they're saying the right words. I want to make a change in my life, man. I've made some bad decisions. I want to make better decisions. I want to make the, the world a better place. I'm, I'm committed to doing the work on myself. And it's like, that's great. That doesn't come at the expense of the people who are around you. So... That was lesson number one. There was a, <laughs> there was a, another uh, girl and she, another housemate, it was a girl, also lived on that floor at that time. And uh, she, uh, it was a completely different situation. 99 days out of 100, she was like super respectful, quite um, motivated and, uh, you know, responsible, but then would have these wild kind of, I'm going to blame it on drugs, but cause it was just so different. Her behavior and her actions and her decisions were so different. And so she just had this wildly inappropriate party with anyways, it, it was at the expense of everybody in the house. And everybody in the house, uh, again, I was gone on tour, so I hear about this while I'm gone, and when I get back, and everybody's frustrated and mad and disappointed and felt used, and there was all this emotion going on in the house, back to that conversation about the shoes in the entranceway, it's like nobody in the house has said anything to this girl, but everybody's pissed. So who's the leader? The person who's going to have the uncomfortable conversation. So I go up to have the uncomfortable conversation and say, look, this situation that's happened a couple of times, you're going to have to move out. It's not cool. It's coming at everybody's expense. Everybody's frustrated. 
So I think you should find another place to live. Okay, she agrees, I believe, in the moment. It's been a few years. Then she texts me and says, uh, this is a week later, maybe. She's like, I want you to come upstairs. Uh, I want to talk to you. So I go upstairs, and she's like, I didn't appreciate the way you talked to me. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm all for everybody having a safe place to say what they need to say. Um, to, to the point, you guys, um, I remember many years ago when I was like 19 years old or something like this, and I was doing, um, trying to find a job and I'd gone to Calgary and I, I took this, uh, sales. There was going to be a door to door salesman, probably vacuums. But one of the things that I remember this guy said to me was like, um, the, the, the leader of this thing said, if you're a man and you're going from door to door, you know, selling stuff, um, a lot of the times the people that you're going to, that are going to answer the door are going to be women and men could just physically, you could be bigger, you could have a bigger voice, a deeper voice, whatever. There's lots of things that you could do that would make somebody feel, uh, uncomfortable and, uh, and unsafe. And so they were like, just some simple things. If there's a step, you know, you should stand on the ground level and let them be above you. Um, just, it was like simple kind of dynamics of letting a person like stand far enough away, identify yourself in a certain way, all of these things that I never did get the job, but ironically that little piece has stayed with me. And so, you know, to go up, I realize I'm uncomfortable with this conversation, but she is too. And I remember sitting on the floor in her room so that she could be sitting on her chair by her desk, looking down at me. I was trying to do everything I could to make this a safe place, to listen to her, to not, you know, argue back. It was just like, we're just doing the best we can as individuals living in community. But I remember saying, you know, I, I don't, I didn't like the way you, you, um, I didn't like that you came and talked to me and told me that, you know, that, that I'd had to move out because of my actions. Like that made me feel bad. And I just remember being like, well, yeah, I didn't want to have that conversation either. Why did we have that conversation? Because you had this like wild drug fueled party in the house that like impacted everybody and everybody in the house was frustrated. So we, we have to remember you know, what's brought us to this point um, when we're idealists and we're activists and we're artists and creative people and we want to change the world and you try to surround yourself with other idealists and dreamers and change is almost always going to come down to these simple things of like human interaction and communication and listening to somebody and respecting somebody and that is what living in a community house has taught me about changing the world. Now, there's another whole level to this experience that we have to get into. So hopefully somewhere in these stories, you're finding yourself and, and maybe, maybe I, I find stories often like trigger memories of similar situations. Maybe the dames are different, maybe the age and the, the, the specifics, but the general um, aspects can remind us of, of things in our own life. So I, I hope that you are thinking back into who you are and where you are in these stories. You know, if you are an idealist and you want to change the world, changing the world 
is about doing something you've never done before. A problem, I can't remember who said it, a problem can't be solved by the same level of consciousness that created it. So if you don't want what you've always had, you can't do what you've always done, that whole thing. You know, all of those inspiring words like that, that you know, are shouted into a microphone and typed out in a soft filtered photo and stylized script and posted in an Instagram reel that's supposed to influence people. Uh, that's why I don't like influencers. It's just so shallow and hollow and, and stupid and performative. And uh, But the question is like, who are you? Who do you identify with? Do you identify with idealists and dreamers, the creative class of individuals who tap into their toolkit of gifts and talents and abilities and expertise and experience and education to find solutions to the challenges in their life? Or are you content to sit on the sidelines of social media, wiggling your thumbs in a constant barrage of whinging posts and comment threads, purposefully missing the point because you steadfastly refuse to acknowledge subtlety and nuance and complexity. <laughs> oh my God, you don't, do you? <gasps> you do, you freaking do. Oh my God, you're the worst. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to have one of those uncomfortable conversations in case you needed somebody to like start accusing you of things. Ah. <laughs> uh. We are authors of our own stories, you know, and some of us, we're in amazing chapters full of success and happiness and love, and others are in chapters slogging through the muck and the mire of disappointment and loneliness, mining the dark colors of the rainbow in search of a pot of gold to call their own, and gold in that pot, in that chapter might just be a sliver of light at the end of the tunnel. It might be a kind word from a friend or even a stranger. It might be a, a good night's sleep, a, a great cup of coffee. It might be a beautiful sunset or, or hearing a, a little toddler giggle, you know? Um, we have the capacity to change somebody's world. I, I have to tell you, I, I do a lot of work in schools um, and I wrote this slam poem for elementary uh, age students called Words Have Power. And uh, I, I love doing, one, one of the things I love about slam poetry, you know, it's the combination of creative writing, creative performance. It's not like rap or hip hop because there's no music and there's no beats. And it's not like uh, theater or acting because there's no costumes or props. It's just about words and it's how you use them. Things like speed and volume and a pause and different things to make your words come alive. So I love this slam that when I go into a school, particularly if I've never been there before, because it starts off with like, words have power. And I leave a pause because I want some kids to be like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, so I said, words have power. Though you wouldn't know it, the way we throw them around, like the worst sound in the world isn't somebody saying, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're an idiot, I hate you. I list those off in, in as kind of emphatic a way as I can, as if you were saying them, say on the playground. And if I've left a pause to say, you know, words have power, and I leave that pause to go, hey, kids are like, maybe they do or don't, then I want to say words you know, stupid, ugly, idiot, I hate you. 
those words and phrases that every student in every school knows, well, you can't say that. Like, if you say that on the playground, somebody's going to go tell the teacher and you're going to call the office and you get in trouble. So it's a great way to say, you know, the, the poem then goes on and uh, eventually it gets to the point where it's like, but, you know, you could turn the whole thing on its ear. Just be sincere and say, uh, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You're, you're awesome. You can do it. You know, our words, words have power. Our words have power. That's the point of the, the slam. Well, last year I was in an elementary school and we were writing a song and we were making this video. And for whatever reason, I actually hadn't got around to performing Words Have Power as a slam poem in my sessions with individual classrooms. And when I do, I'm able to explain it. We're able to talk about it. It's a great launching pad for a conversation about how everyone's words have power and can change the world for ourselves or somebody around us. Well, I get to the end of this assembly on Friday afternoon. We've recorded this song that we've written. We've, we've been filming it. I've done a couple other songs. I look at my watch. There's about five minutes left for the ideal time for this uh, assembly to end, for the students to be able to go back to their classes and get their stuff and leave for the day. And I think, oh, you know, it'd be perfect at this point. I'll wrap everything up with by performing this slam poem. So I put my guitar down. I said, hey, uh, boys and girls, I have this slam. I'd like to perform with you this poem called Words Have Power. This would be a great way to end. And so I'm like, words have power. Though you wouldn't know it. The way we throw them around, like the worst sound in the world isn't somebody saying, you're stupid. You're ugly. And before I could even say, you're ugly, <laughs> these little kids in the front line, they're like, ah, he said stupid. <laughs> They're like, Mr. Smith, he said the S word. Like, there's about 30 kids that are screaming. And I'm like, hey, no, 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 sorry, kids. Students, students, just wait, wait, wait. It's just a, it's a slam poem. I'm just performing. Just wait. It's like, so, words have power, though. You wouldn't know it. The way we throw them around, like, the worst sound in the world isn't you're stupid. You're ugly. I hate you. Ah! That's just And finally, the principal stands up and takes the microphone and they're like, boys and girls, just relax. He's just trying to perform a slam poem for you. And they're like, ah, person, he said stupid. He said the S word. He said hate. And I never did. Never did get to finish the rest of that slam poem. And I thought it was amazing. I finally looked at the principal and said, wow, at least they understand words have power. <laughs> uh, we have the capacity, each one of us, to change the world. But changing the world, it takes humility, it takes courage to acknowledge that the scale and the scope of our influences may be one or two people or five. Maybe some kid in a small school that you've never heard of. It's, it may be that moment where somebody volunteered a line in a song or a slam poem and I reacted positively and genuinely told them that their idea was amazing. Maybe that was the moment that changed somebody's life. And those moments that I've likely done the most good are the ones I've almost certainly paid the least amount of attention to because I've associated changing the world with some great grand gesture when it comes down to being maybe willing to have an uncomfortable conversation. 
or be aware of the people around me. Maybe uh, nobody knows that I grind my coffee at night so that I don't wake them up in the morning at six in the morning if they're trying to sleep in or if they do shift work. Maybe nobody knows if I quietly shut the door or if I check the door every night to make sure that it's latched and locked so that everybody in the house is safe. Maybe I've done that for like 10 years every single night that I'm in the house and nobody knows. It's these simple little gestures and actions that we do that maybe nobody knows. You know, I remember uh, years ago I was uh, in uh, central Canada. I was at the Oneida Nation of the Thames uh, First Nation. I was at Standing Stone School, and I think it was the first time I'd ever been there. I knew the principal from a different uh, school up north, and... Uh, and I was staying at her house to help save the school on money so they didn't have to put me up in a hotel or something. And uh, there was this one classroom, I remember. I think it was grade one or two. I don't know. And I was trying to teach these students slam poetry. And uh, the teacher was just sitting at the back of the room um, reading a magazine every session. And the, the kids themselves were just kind of like wired. You know, they were just loud and kind of crazy. And it wasn't necessarily going super great. And every once in a while, I would maybe look up to see if this teacher was going to intervene and help me get the class in line or do whatever. And she didn't even look at me. And I remember this one night going back to the principal's house. And we're sitting there having supper. And I'm like, yeah, you know that that teacher, grade two class, whatever. Yeah, I don't even think she wants me in her class. You know, she's just reading a magazine, seems pissed off that I'm there. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, whatever. And the principal just looked at me however many minutes, you know, how many moments, that silent moment, and was willing to have this conversation with me and said, you know what? You need to stop judging the world by what your eyes can see. She said, that teacher, she is so thrilled that you are in her class, that her students are having this opportunity this week. She's so excited for them that she's just trying to stay out of your way. Like, she's thrilled that you're in there. And you need to stop looking at it and going, well, the success or the failure of this moment in this school is dependent on what my eyes can see and how engaged they are in a way that I want them to be. I meant, I've never, I've never forgotten that conversation. I'll tell you something, you know, about the conversations that we're willing to have, if you're willing to have it and you want to be a leader. Um, I'm convinced... <laughs> I am convinced that people are going to talk one way or the other. They're either going to talk, if they're, if they're pissed off at you, if they got something to say, if you're kicking your shoes off in the entrance way and they have to stand over, you know, walk over them and it's pissing them off, they're going to talk. They're either going to say something to your face and they're going to be willing to have that uncomfortable conversation and work through the stress and come up and say, could you please put your shoes on the shoe rack, which for somebody would be no big deal. The next person, that's a huge deal. Uh, they're either going to come and say that to your face or they're going to talk behind your back. Either way, they're going to talk. So if somebody comes to you like this principal and says, Rick, you're, you're not getting this at all. You're, the way you're looking at the world, the way you're looking at this world, this moment in the world, you're missing it. You're missing everything. Open your eyes and see what's right and happening right in front of you. 
if somebody's willing to have that conversation with you, I hope you have the courage and the guts to hear what they have to say. I hope we all do. Because it is so much easier to get online and wiggle your thumbs, you know, on the sidelines of socials and bitch and complain. It's so easy to get with some people and talk about somebody else behind their back. It is so hard to look somebody in the eyes and say, you know, I don't know if I have the right, the perfect words. I don't know if it's going to come out perfectly. The best way, because I'm also dysfunctional, trying my best. But here's what I have to say. And the reason we go through that is not for a title of I'm a leader or I'm important. It's because if you've ever had an experience where you come together as a creative community and you have that culture where it's a safe place to take a creative risk, try something, get it wrong, make a mistake, learn from it, try again, maybe make another mistake or the same mistake in a different way and find your way through this life. If you find yourself in a, in a community that's supportive and it lets you have your bad days and your good days all mixed together and make mistakes and learn from them, you will understand why it is the most important thing you could probably ever find. And if you could be that for somebody, holy Jiminy Christmas, man, you've just become, (laughs) you've just become somebody's uh, bright, shining light. You've become that, you know, silver lining in the dark cloud. You've become what they wished they could find. Uh, And I hope you do. I hope you find it. I hope you are it for somebody. Um, Because what do we say? When I say we, what do I mean, everybody? I mean me. I say this. (laughs) I say that being creative is a mindset. It is, and it's a lifestyle, and it produces an energy that empowers resilience and the confidence to face the challenges that life throws at us. And it's that process that creates momentum, and it's that momentum or lack of it that I want to share with you through these episodes because you guys are amazing, and I love you, and I want your lives to be better for the 40 minutes that you spend (laughs) listening to being creative, all five of you. Who knows? Like, I don't want to get crazy, but I sometimes think that maybe like six people or even seven people one day might want to listen to being creative, and I think that's so exciting. It just like keeps me up at night, and I just think about it. Anyways... Enough about me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to leave a comment or ask a question. And always remember, please remember this. You are capable of infinitely more than you give yourself credit for. So, until next time. <laughs>